Right, I'm going to pray. Father in heaven, thank you for a new day. Thank you for uh, grace again, mercy uh, and love, uh, which is renew, renewed every morning. And we pray now that you uh, give us the good things you've sought out for us in your words uh, by the power of your spirit. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're thinking for the last two weeks of the, the Sunday school year, two more weeks today and, and next week, we're going to think a little bit about how to read the Psalms. So just to start with, to get your brains going, round tables, um, how do you find reading and or singing the Psalms? What kind of things do you, do you like? What, if anything, do you find hard about reading the, the Psalms or singing them for that matter? Just round tables for a few minutes and then we'll come back together. Okay, let, let's have a little bit of feedback. I, this is helpful, not least for me, because we're going to do two weeks. So I've had a guess at some of the things that hopefully will help us read the Psalms this week. But what you say now might, might help feed into whatever we do next week. So, um, yeah, how, how do you find reading, singing Psalms? We'll start picking on tables. Yes, this table. Okay, and so yeah, we all love Psalm 23 or whatever, um, 103, some of the kind of famous ones. Yeah. No. Because you have your baby sat on your knee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Psalm 137 has got smashing babies' heads into rocks. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Give James Barrett back. <laughs> uh, it's not an instruction manual psalm, certainly. Okay. Um, Right, more stuff. So yeah, we've got our, che- our sort of our favourite fruit, but lots of stuff we we tend to ignore in the garden. Other stuff. How do people find things? I, I really only been singing songs the last year with the prayer app. Okay. And I really like it. I, when you add music to something, it adds a different part of your memory. That's certainly true, isn't it? It's, it's great to sing them, not just read them, as it were, because they were written as, as songs. And it does some music does something that just reading doesn't. Um, a bit like poetry does something that prose doesn't. Um, um, what, what, are people, what, what do you find hard about reading and singing? By the way, I, I, I'm not thinking like, can we put them all down a few tones, or can we sing them faster, or whatever the nonsense was on the WhatsApp group the other night. Um, I just, yeah. Or is it just really easy? It's really easy. This is going to be a very, very easy two weeks of Sunday school. Can I be controversial? No. Thanks. Uh, so. Hopefully, <laughs> they were they were written as a time of first couple So is it is it right for us to sing all of them? Great. Probably don't apply anymore. Even though it is God's word and it's God's truth and it's all good. It's all right. We know your sound. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. Some of it. Good question. Good question. So they're obviously written in um, the days of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, a lot of them by David, so about 1000 BC. Um, you know, we don't, when we read Leviticus or Deuteronomy and we read rules about not, I don't know, not eating prawns, we don't just say, okay, I'm not going to eat prawns. So is there, is there something sort of funny about seeing them in a new covenant in our day? Um, just very quickly on that. Um, Paul says in Colossians and Ephesians, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Um, 
So there is a kind of direct command there to sing psalms. And it's very likely that the hymns and the spiritual songs um, is also a reference to the book of Psalms. Because if you look at the, we'll see this a bit later, but often you'll see at the top of a psalm a little kind of superscription, they call it, but it's often in, in the English version, it's often written in smaller type. It'll be like a psalm, you know, a psalm of David when he was being chased by Absalom or whatever. Um, those little titles are part of the Bible too. Okay, they're not the editor sort of trying to give you a little bit of help to understand it. Um, and as you read through the book of the Psalms, you'll see that the three types of things in the superscript, some of them are Psalm of David, some of them are songs, and some of them are um, hymns. So it's probably, Paul is saying there, sing the book of Psalms um, in the three different types of songs you get in the Psalms. But even if you think the, the hymns and the spiritual songs are kind of Paul's meaning, um, Wesley hymns and whatever... Um, Getty songs for the spiritual songs, I think. Even if you think that's what he means, then um, still says Psalms. Um, but the pro- Christopher's issue still remains, isn't it? They are from a different era. So, what do we do with that? Okay. Other issues, complications? Yeah. Because? Okay. Oh, cracking just what we're coming to later uh, I'm going to miss you Zach I'm going to miss you it's uh, a good question how do we deal with the, the times when the psalmist is saying something and I'm just not there that's not me it seems yeah but you wouldn't have a problem reading that it's something about seeing it yeah Yeah. Yeah. So there are two. I think there are two related issues there. One is exactly that: the emotional um, disconnect between what, where the psalms are and where you're at as you sing it or whatever. But there's also, I think, even if you were just reading it, there's also the disconnect of David or someone saying, um, "Test me and see my righteousness," and you thinking man I've not got any righteousness or David saying I love you with all my heart and you thinking oh, that's not true of me um, so yeah e- even if you're reading them just as a text there's often still a disconnect <coughs> um, I, I'm genuinely interested because we're going to do a second session of this do come back to me if you've got things you didn't want to say out loud let me know and I'll, we'll try and um, deal with some of these over the next couple of weeks um, I, the Psalms is a book I might have said this before I used to to be really honest when I read through the Bible as a student I really struggled with the psalm because it was long and it seemed like a lot of people whining and whinging and life was kind of okay because I was 21 or whatever and, you know, God have been kind. I'd had a relatively easy life. Um, now it's one of my favourite books and you often discover that, that a lot of figures in church history will kind of gravitate towards the psalms. So Luther, the psalms are a little Bible in which everything contained in the entire Bible is beautifully and briefly comprehended. It's all there in the psalms, says Luther. Um, or Calvin, I've been accustomed to call this book The Anatomy of All the Parts of the Soul. And he, did I put this quote on your sheet? Um, he goes on to say that there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. All the griefs, sorrows, fears, doubts, that's interesting, hopes, cares, perplexities, in short, all the distracting emotions with which the minds of men are wont to be agitated. And I really love this. 
um, he, this is Calvin going on. This book makes known to us this privilege, which is desirable above all others, that not only is there open to us a, a familiar access, as in a family access to God, but also that we have permission and freedom granted us to lay open before him our infirmities, which we would be ashamed to confess before men. Um, you may not know much about Calvin, but he's often portrayed as this kind of hardline, dogmatic reformer who's, you know, bang, 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 bang. But, but just look at that. He's saying look, that the, the Psalms, almost uniquely in the Bible, shows us that, that we can pour ourselves out to, to God. We've got freedom and permission to, to confess to God and say to God things that we're frankly too embarrassed to say to other people. But God so desires our honesty and our openness and desires us to pour out our hearts to him that, that he's given us this book, which is, although it's written by his Holy Spirit, it is written by his Spirit um, to give us words to say back to him. So most of the Bible is kind of top down, isn't it? God says dot, dot, dot. The Holy Spirit, sorry, the, the, Bible, the Psalms are still God said, but it's almost like it's him speaking words that we're meant to speak back to him kind of thing, completing the conversation. And yet, if we're honest, we do find them confusing, remote, a bit strange. Uh, and so, these two weeks, I, I want to try and... My big aim, really, is just trying to, to make us happier in the Psalms. Happier reading them, singing them, praying them. Uh, I'm not going to give you ten rules you need to remember. To, because I think if you do that, it almost takes the Psalms out of our hands again. Because you, you sit down with the Psalm and then, oh, what are the rules? What are the principles? What are the, and it becomes this whole kind of exercise of comprehension again that just kind of confuses us um and there's a i do think there's been a, a bit of a movement recently at least in sort of england in the kind of conservative evangelical world to almost to take the psalms out of our hands um they're just for old, people in the old testament or um in order to understand them you really need to have them preached because you've got to do so much kind of jumping around and understanding how the context changed whatever that really they're you know they're not sort of directly relevant to christians anymore and I think that's a real tragedy, and it's certainly not how they've been used in the past. Um, so basically what I'm saying is I want to make psalms easier for us again and make you re- more relaxed about using the psalms. Um, let, let me say just to start with that I am robbing loads of this off a guy called Matt Searles, who's a friend of mine down in Oxford, who's done loads of good work on the psalms. And he's got some mini devotionals on the psalms, which are really good, really short. If you've dried up in Bible reading, um, yeah, he, you'll find them online really easily. But... Um, he takes, he takes various psalms and just shows you what to do with them. So let's deal with four common stumbling blocks reading the psalms. First one, I don't know what's happening. I mean, you heard that thing where um, uh, in order to understand properly, uh, a psalm properly, you've got to put it in its original context. Um, and that usually means, given that a lot of the psalms are written by David, if you really want to understand the pro- psalm properly, you've got to understand what was going on in David's life when he wrote this. In other words, you need a near encyclopedic knowledge of 1 and 2 Samuel in order to be able to link the psalm into some incident in the story. Now, just come to the psalms. If you look at psalm, let's look at psalm 3. So, psalm 3, psalm's right in the middle, 448. And you'll see at the top of Psalm 3, the first of the, those superscriptions. So the way the ESV works, they'll give, the ESV editors will give them a title. So save me, oh my God, is not part of the psalm. That's just 
the ESV kind of trying to help you give a theme for the psalm. But the bit underneath, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son, that is part of the Bible. Okay, that's the superscription I'm talking about. Now, on that one, okay, we know, therefore, when David wrote that psalm, more or less. Okay, if you know the stories in, in um, books of Samuel in particular, Absalom, David's son, and there's a rebellion, and blah, blah, blah. So every now and again, you get something really straightforward. But look at, look at Psalm 4. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. And then on he goes. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You've given me relief when I was in distress. Well, when was he in distress? Doesn't say, does he? Uh, we don't know when David wrote the psalm. Now, if you turn to the commentaries, they'll start having all sorts of guesses, trying to pick up clues from the rest of the psalm. And, and the good news is, it doesn't matter. You don't need to know. In order to benefit from Psalm 4, you don't need to know at exact what moment in, in David's life he wrote it. If you did, God would have told you. Okay, he'd, he'd, he'd have put something very specific in. Um, in. In essence, if a psalm has got a superscription, great. But after that, more or less, everyone's just guessing anyway. And even with a superscription, like Psalm 3, that the whole point of the Psalms is that they're written, in this case by David, not just for a spe- that specific moment, but at prayers that others can get on board with. In other words, we're not just being given Psalm 3 as an interesting historical note as, this is how David prayed when Absalom, his son, attacked him. Rather, he has written that Psalm for the people of God. That's why it's in the Bible. And he hasn't written the psalm just for the circumstances um, when you have to run and hide in the wilderness after your son kills his half-brother who has slept with your daughter, um, uh, resulting in the other son chasing him out of the city and nicking your throne. Um, you know, that, that's a very niche set of circumstances that you're really pretty unlikely to, to have to deal with. So, so even knowing the context, it's, it's, it's not meant to make it into this kind of like Da Vinci Code search for kind of working out the kind of puzzling answer of the circumstances behind it or whatever it, it gives you a bit of a clue it fleshes it out if you happen to know the story it's great to know the story of Absalom obviously but it's not utterly necessary when you read the psalm um, there's nothing about spears and caves and running up hills and people sort of shouting abuse at him or anything like that it is deliberately written in vague language um, so verse 3 you are a sh- sorry this is psalm 3 you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Uh, verse 7. Save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. You, that is not just about Absalom and his men or Shimei and his curses or whatever it may be. But the whole point is it's written in poetic language, if you like, to, to make it less specific to the situation. All of which is basically to say David wrote it so normal is right and normal Christians like us could pick Psalm 3 up and use it in our own struggles, which won't be exactly the same and may well not be anywhere near quite as extreme, but will still exist. You are, we'll come back to who the enemies are, but you will have enemies, you will have struggles, you do need the Lord to be your shield around you. Don't panic that you don't fully understand the context of the original writing of the psalm or know the story behind it. Okay, so someone, that's okay, but I'm not David. Uh, I'm not the king. Isn't David a picture of Christ? So the link goes David to Jesus, not David to, to me. 
Um, sometimes you'll hear people say, look, you, and, and again, this, is, this has become quite strong recently, one of the kind of most popular guides to reading the Psalms come out in the kind of conservative evangelical world recently, um, goes strong on this in his first chapter. The, the, the author says, look, you don't have enemies like David. Um, your head hasn't been anointed with oil. Like, you know, Psalm 23, you anoint my head with oil. When was your, you, you Christians singing, you know, the Lord's my shepherd as if he's, it's just, you know, the Lord's your shepherd, you can sing like that. Really? Has God anointed your head with oil? No, he hasn't, has he? Um, or when David professes his righteousness, as Zach just mentioned, you know, test me and see my righteousness. Are you really righteous, are you? No, you're not, are you? So really, the, the, the Psalms are, are of David, the king, and then of Christ, the king. And really for you, they're, they're very much secondary. They're more just telling you about Jesus rather than anything you're allowed to sort of get on board with and make your own. Well, we're going to come back to some of the specifics of that later. But I want to say the fundamental premise of that is, is just wrong, if well-meaning. Um, David is a king, but he's also just a believer. He isn't actually Jesus. And so whilst it's true that Jesus praised these psalms and they're found on the lips of Jesus ultimately, there's all sorts of ways they point to Christ, because the whole Old Testament points to Christ. It is not true to say that they're only true of Jesus. Um, they have to be genuinely true of David in his original setting. And he is not perfect, for example. So whatever righteous means, it can't mean perfect. He is a believer who needs saving. He is not the actual saviour. And he clearly expects normal people to join in with him. Look, at, look over at Psalm 34. Psalm 34. So this is the Psalm of David. And the superscription says, um, it's when he changed his behaviour before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. It's when he pretended to be mad, because it was one of his times when he was running away and hiding and all the rest of it. And it begins by, by a very personal kind of set of praises from, from David. I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continue to be in my mouth. Um, verse 4, I sought the Lord. He answered me, delivered me from all my fears. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him, saved him out of all of his troubles. So it begins with a personal thanksgiving, but then it moves to a call to others to listen and join in. So 11, come, O children, listen to me. And by the time we get down to verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, his ears towards their cry. So it's gone plural, if you like. It's moved from singular to plural. Verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them from them all. David is doing, what David is doing, in other words, is saying, look, this is what I found, and it will be true for you, the rest of you guys, as well. And that's why in 1 Peter... 1 Peter takes verses from Psalm 34 and applies them directly to the church, directly to Christians. Now, you might see down in the verse 19 you know, and 20, he keeps all his bones, not one of those broken. That is used as a prophecy of Christ. You know, none of Jesus' bones are broken. That, that is true, but that doesn't stop Peter using the psalm also just as a description of the Christian life in general. Okay, without having to do the, no, it's about Jesus really, not about you. And then if you believe in Jesus, then kind of you can have it as a secondary thing as yours. Peter doesn't bother with that. No, it is true of all who trust in the Lord. In other words, don't get too hung up about David being king to the extent that it stops you being able to take his words in your lips. Two more, and then we're going to look at a psalm together before we close. 
uh, and we're getting hit at one of Zach's objections. Um, uh, very helpful one. Just, just turn back a psalm, Psalm 32, and two psalms. You say, okay, I, 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 I'm happy that I'm not David, I'm just a normal Christian, but then so is David in lots of ways, just a normal Christian. But I'm not righteous. Psalm 32, um, verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So, ah, I'm, I'm not righteous. You know, I'm not actually upright in heart. We, we can get all sorts of um, times in the, occasions in the Psalms where, where David will say something, and it, it's clear he's not talking about what righteousness in the same sense that Paul uses it, that kind of justified, declared right before God, imputed righteousness. That's not, that's not what he's talking about. He is talking about a kind of our own righteousness. And we think, well, that's, that's not me. But righteousness in the psalm, righteousness in the psalm is not the same as righteousness in, in Romans. Um, even Psalm 32, which ends with that call, rejoice, O you righteous ones, shout, all you upright in heart. Who are those people? Well, look, at, look how it begins. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, your hand was heavy against me. But verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who's godly offer a prayer to you at a time you need to be found. Godliness and being righteous is not about being perfect in the Psalms. And in fact, in a lot of the Old Testament and you. It is about being someone who has put their, their trust in, in the Lord. That involves confessing your sin and trusting in him for salvation. The righteous in Psalm 32 are those whose sin is forgiven, not those who are without sin entirely. And actually, you, you find that often throughout the Bible. It's not just in the Psalms. Noah is described as a righteous man. Um, sometimes you'll see people described as blameless so in the New Testament, Anna, the, the, the prophetess, uh, beginning of Luke's gospel, and Simeon, the priest, they are blameless. He said blameless? They haven't sinned? Well, that's what it means. Righteous doesn't mean totally without sin. It means someone who's put their trust in God for the forgiveness of sins and is therefore fundamentally on God's side. Now, in Romans, where Paul's being much more legal about it, it is about kind of spotless righteousness and that is only found in Christ and in Christ we have it because it's his and all ours all the rest of it that's true but it's just using the word in a different way um, elsewhere in scripture we get a real mess if we don't realise that and the other thing that's worth saying is sometimes the word righteous just means I'm innocent in regards to this situation uh, so if you come back to another one Psalm 7 So there's a little superscription again, a shigayan, whatever on earth that is, of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite knight. So this guy's been insulting him, if you know the backstory. But anyway, um, there's a particular situation going on. And in Psalm 7, look at verse 3. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there's wrong in my hands, if I've repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause... 
Let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. Let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. David is not saying, if you can see any sin in me at any point in my life, destroy me. Because we know he's full of sin. He knows he's full of sin. David Bathsheba, he's the same David who wrote Psalm 34, when I confess my sin, or Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God. Rather, what he's doing here is saying, look, in this specific situation, I'm being persecuted unjustly. And you know this, Lord. And again, that's really helpful pastorally because sometimes you will just be being persecuted innocently. Not because you are without sin and utterly perfect, obviously. But it just happens, doesn't it? Okay, when the North Korean police uh, arrest the um, you know, professing Christians and accuse them of treachery to the state or something. I'm not a traitor. I'm just just a Christian. Early doors, a lot of the early Christians were accused of being cannibals um, because they ate the Lord's Supper. This is my body, this is my blood. You know, you're cannibals. I said, no, I'm not a cannibal. I, I, can genuinely, I, I am a sinner, Lord, but I am, you know I am not a cannibal. Okay, I can pray that prayer. Okay? I, it's not a claim of total innocence. It's just I am really very confident I have... You know, never broken the rule, do not eat other human beings. Okay, so when I'm accused wrongly, I can pray that. So sometimes righteousness is just about a specific situation. And of course, Jesus could do that all the time because he was always innocent in every circumstance. So again, they point to Jesus in that way. But, but don't let the righteousness language take the psalm out of your hands. Okay, if you're trusting, righteous people are those who confess their sins, are trusting in the Lord are far from perfect, but, but want him to be their saviour and king. They are not those who are totally without sin in every way. La- last problem in the Psalms, and then you can look at Psalm 13 for five minutes or so as we close. Um, this is the one that Kim, Kim brought up, which I think is a really important one, but I don't feel like that. You know, the, the Psalm is expressing an emotion, I just don't feel it. And to be honest, it's as true in praise as much as laments. Um, I said earlier I struggled with the sort of sad psalms as a, as a student because I hadn't suffered that much and I was just immature. But, but actually, s- some of the I will praise you psalms can feel distant from us. You know, I'll praise you forever or... Um, I'm going to write down there. Let's, let me quote a couple. So here's here's um, Psalm 138, verse 1. I give thanks to you, O Lord, with my whole heart. And if you've got a tender conscience, like, do I? Really? It's my whole heart, Honestly? Full of praise, my whole heart. Um, one thing I desire to dwell in the house of the Lord. Ooh, is, it, is it really the only thing I desire? The one thing I desire? Have I not got corrupt desires? And um, again, Matt Sells, I found really helpful on this. He said, "Think of the Psalms as a gym, and and use them, use the words um, as a way of exercising faith, as it were." And he uses the example of, of, of teaching your kids to say thank you. So we, we will say to our kids, what do you say if they haven't said thank you? So, you know, you give them, you give them a bowl of cereal. What do you say? Thank you. Now, when I say to Henry, what do you say? Do I want him to say, well, Dad, I'm all, in all honesty, I'm not totally thankful for this because I don't really like Weetabix, so I'm not going to say thank you, be hypocritical. And, no, okay. You, he says thank you because it's the right thing to do and you should grow into thankfulness. And it's the, same with the, it's the same with the Psalms. Let me quote, quote Searles. He says this, So too we shouldn't be afraid of the words of the Psalms that seem to describe a devotion that is beyond us. I'll praise the Lord as long as I live. These aren't words to condemn us, 
But the psalmist is inviting us to join in with these words and commit ourselves anew to this life of praise. They're words to grow into. When teaching such a psalm, I don't say, does your praise match that of the psalmist? Do you praise God as you ought? To do so would be to misunderstand the formative nature of songs. Rather, I tend to say something like this. Don't we want to be able to say this with the psalmist? In our better moments, isn't it what we desire? Join in then with the psalmist saying these words and join in with the psalmist in meditating on the reasons why he can say this. The glorious truths about God expressed in the psalm. As you sing with the psalmist, see if your hearts are lifted to God such that you do want to grow more into this life of praise. As we sing psalms as a church, or you just read them on your own and pray them back to God, it is is laying out things as they ought to be, and we can join in, knowing there is a gap, of course there is, we're still sinners, but it's training our hearts for that to become more natural, whether it's praise, lament, or whatever. And also, of course, we sing them in solidarity with those who are feeling like this. We sing a lament at church. Not everybody will be feeling lamenty that week, but there will be those who are. And we are one body. We weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. So it's not just so individualistic that if I'm not feeling exactly like this, I'm not joining in. We're singing as a body. And there are plenty of our brothers and sisters in the congregation, in the wider church, we're one body ultimately, who really are weeping um, this morning. So there we go. Um, Oh, look at that. We started too late. I'm not taking responsibility this week. Um, Let's, um, it's going to be chaos this morning anyway. Let's just look at Psalm 13, round round tables. Um, I realise set up musicians might need to go. Have a read through it. How does David feel? And what do you notice about how he prays? Actually, do you know what? I'm going to totally contradict myself and stop you doing that because it will be chaos. Um, Sorry, I'm going to interrupt you there. We are going to start with that next week. So look at, look at Psalm 13 this week. Otherwise, I'm going to, I feel bad for the musicians. Um, does anyone want to, we've got about two minutes, and you're not going to do Psalm 13 in two minutes. Any questions? You know, ask them. Yeah, Maria. Say that again. Because, so, just let me check if I understood the question rightly. We wouldn't stick ourselves into other books of the Bible and say, this is me. Why are we doing it with the Psalms? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So that's that's a good question. Um, Precisely because the Psalms, almost uniquely, there's a few others scattered around the the Bible. The Psalms are are those prayers given to us to pray back to God. So... So, I mean, literally, Paul says, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And as you read through the Old Testament narrative, you'll see the people of God singing these songs and, and praying them. And all we know about how they were used is they were used to express praise back to God. So they are, whereas, I mean, I don't even know how you'd stick yourself into Matthew's gospel quite. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, let, let's take prophecy. Maybe that's a better way. So, um, and this is a silly example, but if, if we read Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, um, you know, or here is my servant in whom I delight, these kind of prophecies in Isaiah, and thought, oh, that's me. Okay, that, that's definitely wrong. You know, it's pointing forward to Christ. But, 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 the, but the whole 
genre of, of, of um, prophecy, you know, there is a man who is pointing to someone. Okay, and so it would be stupid to put yourself in there. But Psalms is not that. It is, I do this, we do that. And, it is, and they are given for us to pray, to pray back. So they're just a different type of um, thing to a prophecy or a... I don't quite know what else you'd stick yourself into. A gospel or something like that. Um, so I'm not, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you can't read the Psalms and be pointed to Christ. Okay, that, that is also true because they're all part of the Bible, so of course they do. What I'm trying to say is we're not meant to be handicapped from reading them and praying them because we're not Jesus. And the actual weird thing is, for those who, who really go down that kind of, that Jesus' prayer is not yours, they then have tremendous trouble with all the prayers that are, you know, when I didn't confess my sin, my heart was hardened against you. And how does Jesus pray that? Like, I mean... Pretty, pretty hard to get Jesus praying a psalm of confession. So it's not like, yeah, it's not like it's just a smooth path to say they're all Jesus' prayers. Um, and again, remember, David's just a normal, David is ultimately just a human being who needs saving. Yeah. Um, I should have said this at the beginning, but um, just like how um, non Christians take the first time here, like, if we sing the how long will you forget me, they turn up here that. Um, yeah, I, I just think on that one, church <laughs> church is basically for Christians, Sunday morning. It's not that you don't want people who are not Christians to come along, but the whole point of the gathering is the gathering of God's people. Now, in 1 Corinthians 14, you get some non-Christians coming along, hearing and becoming Christians, which is great. But church is not a Hope Explored course or a Christian Explored course. And so you, ca- you just can't caveat and explain everything because it'd just be here forever. Um, and it's, it, would st- it would stop you being able to do lots of things you're meant to do. You, you can't stop things that God has told you to do because you're, you're worried about what a non-Christian might think. Um, so we, we try our best with that sort of stuff, but you can't... Yeah. And that's why you do ultimately need to be clear. Is church ultimately um, driven by evangelistic concerns? Or is it ultimately driven by worshipping God as he's told us to worship him? They're not totally mutually exclusive, obviously. But, yeah. You'd get rid of everything otherwise. I mean, you'd get rid of so much stuff. Yeah. Anastasia. Sure. So they definitely. So um, let's say let's say you had a whole earth and thought, I'm going to read all the psalms and I'm going to try and feel everything the psalms feel. You'd be a basket case by the end of the day because they go from immense joy to darkness is my closest friend, total despair, and like you 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 can't feel everything. And therefore, if you're reading any particular psalm any particular day there's not necessarily going to straight away be this resonance between how you're feeling and but, that, but that's, a, that's totally fine I mean that's the seasons of the soul sometimes Jesus weeps when he's by the grave of Lazarus sometimes he rejoices when he that's fine but what they're doing is 
Calvin's language, the mirror of the soul. They're showing you the kind of the breadth of real Christian experience emotions so that when you feel like... The Psalm 88, 88 is a classic. T- total darkness. It's not one of those ones where I was far from you, Lord, and then it ends up, but I'm back in praising you now. It's just, it just closes with, and dances with his friends. Just boom. You don't think, oh, my life, there's no way I can be a real Christian because... Um, so yeah, don't, you don't need to beat yourself up that you're not emotionally in tune with whatever psalm you happen to be reading that day. But they, what they might say to us is, huh, there are ways that I am, I have a very emotionally limited range here. I need to be broader. Um, yeah. And, and certainly your second thing about, of course, they also teach, you know, God is a strong fortress. or They teach loads of stuff about God as well. But that, the reason I haven't talked about that is just because that comes more naturally. You know, you owe Lord a good and forgiving great I mean, that's, you, do, you don't need me to explain that to you that's, yeah. great um, let's stop there we'll come back to this next week do, do far questions through in the, in the meantime but um, let's turn church around for, um, for the service